Today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, and our topic is people, your problem, and your purpose. So listen to uh, Solomon's words from Ecclesiastes 4, reading at verse 4. And I saw that all labor and all achievement springs from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The world is filled with people, and it is tough to figure out which ones you should befriend, allow access to, take advice from, and do life with. So we're going to do a crash course on people today. This issue becomes even more pressing when there's a life change, such as a move to a new city, or you're going to a new school, or you leave an old school, or you transition to a new job, or, or even you start attending a new church. When you don't know people well, sorting out relationships can be incredibly difficult. So for simplicity's sake, and I would even say biblically, there are basically three kinds of people, evil, foolish, and wise. And these three categories of people are frequently found in the Bible books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, including the section we're going to look at today. Now, sure, we don't like to categorize people, but Solomon does, and Jesus called him wise, so maybe we should pay attention and learn something from him. And the issue is not how intelligent or educated someone is, or even whether or not they commit sins and make bad decisions. We all do. The main difference between evil, foolish, and wise people is their heart. Wise people want to know the truth and learn from it and become more godly. Foolish people want to argue over the truth, not change, and remain stuck in their folly. And evil people hate the truth, refuse to change, and cause harm to others. We all have areas of wisdom, folly, and evil in our lives. All of us do. So there's always something that needs to be worked on by God's grace in our own character. Always something. So let's not forget that as we talk about these categories of people. As we talk about the evil, the fool, and the wise, remember, if the shoe fits, wear it and deal with it. So we are going to use these three categories to help us understand other people. 
This can give us discernment about who is willing to mutually work on a relationship and avoid those who might be taking advantage of us or even wanting to hurt us. Evil people, Solomon says in verse 4, are motivated to succeed out of envy. And I saw that all labor and all achievement springs from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. These people find status in possessions and accomplishments as a way to show that they are better than others, maybe by the car they drive or the stuff they own and the people they surround themselves with. Their success is driven by coveting and jealousy of others. They seethe when others accomplish or obtain something that they wanted. Evil people rejoice when others lose their possessions, suffer in their relationships, and fail where they used to win. They find pleasure in the pain of others. In our age of social media, evil people have access to more information than ever, which feeds their jealousy of other people and allows them to compare, compete, attack, and defeat them. The best way to deal with an evil person is to get distance from them, protect yourself from them, and give them as little personal information as possible so they can't use it to cause pain and harm. Intrinsically, we understand this. That's why there's such a spike in the last number of years in the privacy laws. It's to keep your personal information from evil people who will use it against you. Foolish people, Solomon says in verse 5, are irresponsible. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Idleness. Foolish people are prone to be lazy. Foolish people refuse to learn, repeat the same bad decisions over and over, and argue with any help you offer. Foolish people want the world and everyone in it to change so that they do not have to change. They are irresponsible, yet clever, and know how to push their responsibilities on to responsible people who will enable them by paying their bills, bailing them out, cleaning up after their life mess, and enduring all the pain of their folly so that foolish person never feels it. The best way to deal with a foolish person is consequences. Since arguing with them does nothing, and taking responsibility for them only makes them more foolish, the most loving thing to do is shift the pain of their foolish life back to where it belongs, on them. In this way, they will get motivated to make changes once life gets painful enough. This is why Proverbs says, some guys won't go to work until they get really hungry. Proverbs 16.26, the laborer's appetite works for him. His hunger drives him on. How about wise people? Verse 6, live life, they live life intentionally and purposefully because they want to grow in godliness and not make the same mistakes over and over. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Wise people receive godly instruction and correction and make adjustments in their life. Wise people are also discerning and don't just do what evil and foolish people tell them to do. 
In this way, he says that wise people have a two-handed approach to life. They use one hand to work hard and provide for themselves. They use the other hand to reach out and befriend the lonely, give to the needy, and embrace the hurting. The best thing for a wise person is more time, information, and investment, because from it they will learn and grow to be more godly. Where the teacher is driving in this section is to the point of emphasizing the great gift of friends and family. While evil people harm others and foolish people use others, wise people love others. Wise people do not see other people as a means to their ends, of folly or evil, but rather they see other people as gifts from God to be treasured, enjoyed, and invested in. Solomon is, is writing all of this perhaps as a lonely old man who lives in a huge palace with incomparable riches and a thousand women at his pleasure, but no real friends or supportive family. His story's 3,000 years old, but it's been repeated over and over again, and we can learn from it. It is timeless, as is the case with all wisdom. Recently, a few years ago, the story was in the newspaper. Minecraft founder Marcus Person, also known as Notch, sold his creation to Microsoft for $2.5 billion. He basically retired, bought a $70 million home with a wall of candy and constant parties. He then sent out a series of Ecclesiastes-type tweets saying, The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible to, due to imbalance. Hanging out in Ibiza, that's an island off the coast of Spain known for its wild nightlife, with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. When we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of. And they all hate me now. found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. This incredibly successful man, by every human measure, really wants things that money can't buy, real family and real friends. A wife and a normal life to him sounds like an escape from the prison of lonely success. His findings are the same as Solomon's, and wise people would be well served to pay attention. So on the theme of friends and family, the teacher, who also is perhaps lonely, sitting on his pile of money, 
says there are at least four benefits to having invested our energy into having real relationships with friends and family. And here they are. Number one, friends and family are for sharing. That's in verse 7 and 8. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. So what good are golf clubs if you're too busy to swing them and don't have friends to join you? And what good is a boat if it rots in the dock while you're busy making more money? And what good is a big house if you don't have kids running around in it and friends coming over? The blessing comes not from getting, but from sharing and giving. This is one reason God is the most joyful, because he's the most generous. Friends and family are there to enjoy by sharing life with them, with what God has given to us. And here's the big question for you, a couple. Who has shared with you? Who has God asked you to share with? Number two. Friends and family are helpful for serving that's in verse 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Life has wins and losses, ups and downs, good times and bad times. We all stumble and fall. And we need someone there to help pick us up. Sometimes this is emotional, financial, spiritual, physical. Even in a perfect world, God told a perfect person that it was not good for them to be alone. We need people, and people need us. Sadly, in our world, we are moving toward a service-based economy, and we pay people to do things that family and friends could or should do, and this works until we cannot afford to pay someone and find ourselves down and unable to get back up. So, let me ask you, who has picked you up? Who has God asked you to pick up? Three. Friends and family are for comforting. That's verse 11. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But who, how can one keep warm alone? Our world is lonely, with people living more years of their life single, alone, and away from family. Technology makes things worse as it can never replace the ministry of presence. This is why you cannot have a godly 50-year-old marriage on Skype or parents solely through texting. God understands this. 
God understands the ministry of presence, which is why he came down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? To be with us, to be near us, and to save us. They called him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is also why Jesus promised when he ascended into heaven, he was never going to leave or forsake us. That's that's Matthew 28, 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is why Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit, his spirit, to be with us always. That's in John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor or the old word comforter to be with you forever. You know, instinctively, we just get this fact, which explains why in a hospital room next to the bed for the sick person is a chair for a friend or family member who loves them and wants to minister to them through their presence. Let me ask you, who has ministered to you through their presence? Who is God asking you to minister to through your presence? Number four, friends and family are there for protecting. This is verse 12. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The world is a dangerous place. As evil people want to harm us and foolish people want to use us. This includes physical, sexual, financial, vocational, emotional dangers. And Solomon uses the analogy of a fight or an assault where one person fighting two people is certain to lose because they can't cover their back. This is what is meant when a friend says, I got your back. The big idea is that life is safer with two people sticking close close together and looking out for one another. That's why we have swim with a buddy, right? Jesus sent the disciples out two by two into a dangerous world. And even better if their number increases to three, right? Three amigos. And then think of this as Transfiguration Sunday. Think of Peter, James, and John, the friends of Jesus. He took up onto the mountain. And in verse 3 and 4 of Matthew 17, And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, Jesus. There's three again. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we are here. Ministry of presence. If you wish... I will make three tents here. They want to stay with them. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. To be safe in the presence of God always. You know, when I read this passage about friends and companionship, two are better than one, I cannot help but think of what What a friend we have in Jesus who has done all these things for us. What a friend Jesus has been to us. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 
And certainly Jesus did that for us. You are my friends, Jesus said, if you do what I command. Remember, it's because of him, Jesus Christ, his sacrificial death on the cross, his rising from the dead, his ascension into heaven so that he could be with each and every one of us in the person and work of the Holy Spirit to make us wise, to guide us so that we see people as gifts from God, that we see people as, yes, often our problems, but way more often our purpose and love them as family and friends. People need the Lord. They really do, and they need his church if they do not have a family of their own. And that is so important for us to remember. Amen.